it's like, dude, doing this show that that we did, like, or the the digital special that's like out now or whatever. It's like, I don't have any fucking experience right. doing that. Like, I don't have any experience. I before I did that, I never had ever made anything that like was that long and like actually hung together as like a cohesive, coherent like piece of media. And also, I mean. People do like if you're young, they like they give a <laughs> yeah. shit about that. Like, take advantage of it. Like, right. don't like just decide that you're bad automatically because you're a kid or whatever the fuck. Like, I mean, probably you are. Definitely confront that. Keep it in your head, right. but don't let it like defeat you. That's right. I, I think you do. You you just have to like live in this place where it's like, yeah, it's like cool that I'm like a young guy who's getting to do stuff. But at the end of the day, I don't have fans enough enough rather to like sell out rooms you know so when i'm up there i gotta fucking dance man welcome to the underground comedy podcast with sean joyce for more information about our live shows check out undergroundcomedydc.com hey what's up thanks for checking us out it's 2020 and we're starting off the year the way we do every year with 51st Jokes on Wednesday night at DC Draft House. This will be our fifth annual 51st Joke show in DC, where 50 comics will each tell their first new joke of the year. It's a fun show, so check it out if you can. Then this weekend, Chris Powell from Comedy Central will be making his Big Hunt debut. You can get tickets and info to those shows on the website. Our guest today is Mecky Lieber. Mecky is a Los Angeles-based comic who started headlining clubs at the age of 23. Now 25, he is filming a pilot for Comedy Central that is over three years in the making and started as a live show in Philadelphia. In this episode, he talks about how that process unfolded and the perspective that has helped him successfully navigate the comedy world at such a young age. I grew up in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. I really grew up in a town called Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, but nobody knows what that is. So I always say Gettysburg when I'm out. And then, yeah, like when people ask, like, where did I like start comedy or whatever? Yeah, Yeah, Philly. And uh, you started when you were in college? Yeah, I was, uh, I was like, I think I was a junior in college or like a sophomore in college. And I was making like sketches. I was making like comedy sketches with like a, with like a group there. And I've, I've said this before, it just like, it, it felt like the videos needed to be funnier and they just, yeah. it was just like, you know, like our dumb friends, like, right. you know, and some of us were like kind of funny. Like I was like, not that good in mm-hmm. the videos and my buddy you know some of them were great but i was like if we just had comics i'd bet these videos would all be like way funnier you mean if you had stand-up comedians in the videos yeah okay yeah i was just like i just want to have like instead a, of your regular friends instead of my dude instead of my normie civilian friends yeah. i think that <laughs> I, I think that's insane when people say that on podcasts i do too I, civilians I, like what it's yeah very very weird yeah um but uh yeah i mean so I just wanted to be around like a group of people that like were trying to do comedy also. And you know, college students are like, they don't know what they're doing. I didn't even totally know what I was doing. So I was like, I want to at least find some people that decided that this is what they're trying to do. So I thought I could cast people if I start doing stand up. Oh really? You were like a, you were like infiltrating stand up for the sake of making your videos better. A hundred percent. I had like no <laughs> intention of like being a stand up. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Like, I was like a fan of stand up. Mm-hmm. And I, but it never really occurred to me like, oh, that'll be my job. Right. Um, and then, uh, yeah, then I just started and it started like things started going pretty well. You know? Do you think that it could be your job now? 
<laughs> like, do I do I like believe that that will? Be yeah. Like, do you do you see yourself as like I'm gonna be a touring comedian and it's gonna be like half of my year is gonna be touring? I yeah, I see that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I really think that. The, I, I always wanted to like make things I always wanted to like write and direct and whatever Like mm-hmm. that was the plan But uh, I can't see Abandoning stand up At yeah. this point it's yeah it's like way too fun It's way too interesting It's way it's and it's also such a different It's like not even remotely the same The fact that like right. when I think of like doing Comedy I'd think of Every project I work on but right. like stand up Is so separate from shooting something or whatever it, the the gratification is so much more like instant it's great you know yeah a lot of, and freedom yeah you can say whatever you want whenever you want you can decide to like not really do your act you can like do like as much crowd work and new material as you i mean unless you're like bombing right but, like right. there's nobody that's gonna be like uh you're gonna need to like say that one joke tonight right like, what are you talking no so, so that's nice when you were uh what did you what were you majoring in when you were there film Okay, so you knew from the kind of early on you wanted to get into that that line of work. Yeah, yeah. Like when I was like, uh, I think I started making videos when I was like twelve, maybe. Like, little. were they funny videos then? Uh, the, no, I mean they weren't funny. They were trying to be. You yeah, know what I mean? but they oh, were but like they're intended with the intention. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I always was like, I want to make like comedy, like movies or like TV or whatever. You were doing stand up in Philly. How long did you do stand up in Philly? Oh, man, I think like a year and a half or like two years, maybe. And then you moved to L.A.? Then I moved to L.A. And how long have you been doing it total? Uh, it'll be five years in February. Okay, so like this very, very quick uh, progression. Yeah, I, I, I really, um, I, I feel like I was at like all the right places at all the right times. Yeah. Like that's when I think back on stuff, I'm just like, Jesus, I don't know if I could like thread that needle again. How did you... Um, decide to go to LA instead of New York. Uh, basically, I unexpectedly got like a team of agents and a manager, mm-hmm. and they just told me to do that. Um, yeah, like I, I was gonna, I was gonna move to New York later that year, and I just like do like the thing that everybody does, mm-hmm. and like try to just make it work or whatever, and get seen by people. But that happened a lot earlier than I thought. And how did they see you? I, it was like a couple of things. It was like. I don't know, man. It was like a really weird turn of events. So there were there were two things. Like, I, I don't know who listens to this podcast exactly, but like managers and agents are different. Basically, like agents see all the jobs in Hollywood mm-hmm. and they point you to ones that you could possibly do. Mm-hmm. And then your manager helps you pick which one of those to attempt is the right one. Yeah. yeah, as it matches up with your like sort of like idea of what you want your career to be or whatever. That's right. like sort of what it, you know how it works. So they're separate entities. So like one thing that happened that helped me tremendously is I was taking all of these like DIY trips to like other cities to do just free bar shows. Okay. As a way to like try to practice stand up because I couldn't even if you get booked every night in Philly, which isn't really possible anyway. I mean, it's like that's you just can't sustain that. Like you can do that for a month. How much? Then, how often were you able to go up in Philly? Maybe like four or five times a week, probably. Maybe a little bit more. At okay. Like when it was like at the most. But I feel like the most productive time I like had in stand up early on was I would fly with my buddy Chris O'Connor, uh, and we would go to like 
two cities. We would go to like Denver and Chicago, just like on our own dime, crashing on people's couches, mm -hmm. doing every single bar show in the city for a week and just exhausting every show they had. So it's like you could get up like two, three times a night for 10 days. Yeah. That's not a privilege that you're afforded. Like when you live in a city, when you live in a city that's yeah. not New York or LA, right. and you're like a total like nobody comic. Right. There's just you can't get up like that. So we would do that. I mean, and it like killed me. Like all I was doing <laughs> yeah. was like I was like I was like spending the money that I was supposed to be spending on my apartment that I got as like uh, literally just like my student loans. I like spent my student loans like, yeah. flying around to do, you know, just bar shows and stuff, which was psychotic. But <laughs> yeah. um, one of those times I went out to Denver Comedy Works. It was a trip to like Austin and Denver. So like this is like day seven of the trip. I go up at New Talent Night at Comedy Works and just do like four minutes, get a great tape is the first time I ever put myself doing stand up like on YouTube, probably like a hundred people watched it. Mm -hmm. And one of those people was this writer at the daily show, this guy, David Angelo, who's my buddy. Oh now. yeah. And, uh, I don't know what happened, but like he somehow stumbled across that video. Probably. I mean, it's like, I know him now and, and I've asked him a million times, like, how did you see that? He's right. like, I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. He just like hate watches stuff. And uh -huh. I think that he was, you know, on a tear of like these people suck. And then he got to my tape and uh, I guess he like liked me and it was right at the same time that Hassan got the job. Hassan Minaj yeah. got the job to do the White House Correspondents Dinner in 2017, the first year that Trump was in office and mm -hmm. nobody wanted the gig. So they had like I think they had like three weeks to to write all of it. And David just like passed that video of me to Hassan. And then I get an email. I'm like in college doing open mics and suddenly I get an email from Hassan Minaj. It's just like <laughs> the subject line is just writing gig. I'm like, well, this is what is happening. Um, so that's like one thing that happened that was completely independent of like all the rest of the stuff that you do as a comic festival circuit, et cetera, et cetera, yeah, et cetera. Yeah. But the other thing that helped me tremendously was I was like a year in maybe like, I think it was like a year in and I couldn't get past at any of the clubs in Philly, like mm -hmm. to host or to do anything, like anywhere to get up in front of a big crowd and get like a hot tape that would like get me into a festival. I couldn't do. And I was like, I think I have the material. I just need like a tape. So I listened to Mark. About how much time did you have at that point? Like what you felt good about? That felt good. Literally like 10 minutes, yeah, probably 10, yeah, like yeah. no time, yeah. you know? Uh, I was a huge fan of, of Mark Norman and Joe List podcast, Tuesdays with Stories, uh -huh. and I listened to that like every single week, like right when it came out. I was obsessed with those dudes. And uh, so like I knew that Mark was recording his special on a Friday in New York. So I emailed him. I like begged somebody that like I knew knew him a little bit from when they used to live the in New York. The Comedy Central Hour? His comedy, yeah, he was filming his Comedy Central hour in yeah. New York uh -huh. on on like a Friday, and I begged somebody for his email, which never do that if you're a comic. That's not yeah. cool. Uh, <laughs> and so I like cold email Mark Normand, and I'm like, "Hey man, your special is this date. If you come to Philadelphia the night before, you can run your hour. I, I'll sell it out at like a like a 150 seat like smallish like theater thing that's like set up like a theater yeah. space." Uh, I'll sell it out. Is this good, good? It's not good, good. No, okay. this was uh, the um, Philly Improv Theater. And were you all right? Were you producing shows? I had a show with them there. Yeah. Okay. So I was like, I was like producing shows. I like ran an open mic. I was like trying to squeeze every bit of Philadelphia comedy yeah, like, yeah. out that I possibly could. And uh, it was lucky that I ha had a show at this venue already because they had a bigger space downstairs. And I was like, look, dude, I will 
produce this show for you just like come down and do it i'll pay for your like train ticket right, you know what right. i mean like just desperate swing Insane. sure sure and uh he's the perfect person to do a desperate swing with though because he'll go up anywhere yeah it's like we're like no love stand up yeah so he said yes and he came down and did it and i opened for him it was the first time i like ever opened like a headline like a real headliner's show yeah and it was sold out and just like hot crowd because they're excited because norman's just suddenly showing it was very last minute you know mm-hmm. what i mean and and it was like you know, it's like he was opening for Schumer and Liz was opening for Louie. It was like a huge time for the yeah, podcast. Yeah. It was just like, you know, right when those guys were really on the, the upswing before they became like the much bigger dudes that they are now. And uh, yes, it was just great. Anyway, got a good tape. That's what got me into Bridgetown. And mm-hmm. that's what... So it was like the it was these like two different tapes that like came about in like a very lucky... Right sort of silly way yeah both of your tapes worked perfectly yeah and, and like yeah to, to <laughs> do never this happens. ridiculous thing possible yeah and then just like you know the people that would later become my agents saw me at bridgetown and just signed me like right right then. and uh but that meant that i could like i could you know i was in film school at, at temple and but suddenly i could like get in these rooms with like any network or whatever i could like not long after that i started like headlining so there was like six months where I was just writing material as fast as I could and like trying to like get the time up in case yeah. they asked. Yeah. About how much time were you comfortable doing when you started to first have the opportunity to headline? I had done an hour one time. I had done 47 minutes one time at uh, Good Good in Philly. Mm-hmm. And after I had done Bridgetown, like it's funny, like the small scenes start to like let you close out shows and stuff like sure, that. Sure, sure. So it was a little bit more frequently doing like 15, 20, but like that was it. Right. You know? And so it was that thing where you just like take all your 10 minute sets and kind of like paste them together in order uh-huh. and then hope that that equals an hour of stand up. Um, it's the only option you have. It's all you can do. Yeah. So I think I had like, I think I had like 38 minutes and then I was like, I'll just write some jokes about the town. I was in, I was in Wilmington, North Carolina headlining for like the first time. I'd never done that dead crow time before dead crow. Yeah. And, uh, but it was weird. I, I always thought that like crowd work was like a thing for like, I don't like a comic like Big J, you know, obviously he's like so incredible with the crowd, Sure, but he's also like so different than me. It's like this dude, it's like, he's like a real Philly guy. Oh. I was like <laughs> a small town, like Philly transplant. Yeah. You know right. I mean? Right. He's this like rough and tumble. Like he's got like, he's got like wisdom, you know what I mean? And you, you feel like that's where the crowd work is like coming from. It feels, it's like artistic yeah. the way that it is crazy. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I can't, I'm just not that kind of comic. I didn't come up at like the laugh house and shit. I didn't come up with like crowds, like throwing things at me and screaming and shit. And I had, you know, but, uh, what I realized is that, you know, of course you could do crowd. Work. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? It's Anybody not the only, do. that's not the only style of crowd work. It, that's Exa- just one style of crowd work. Totally. And yeah. there, there's a lot of different ones. I mean, Todd Barry has a unique style of crowd work and it's incredible. And it, yeah, it's so different than big J, but yeah. you don't have to do either of those. There's still other versions. Crowd work is, I mean, I mean, it's really just, I mean, it's just improvisational comedy. Totally. I mean, you're just, 
you're just making jokes on the fly and there's a lot of different ways to do improv it's the same kind of thing oh yeah well and, uh, and it also feels like because you have like an act that fills out like most of the time you know what i mean or yeah. like then later if you're like headlining at an appropriate point in your career it's like it fills out all of the time or whatever right. but i the thing that blew me away with those shows was and i think it was me being you know feeling like a, a fucking animal backed into a corner is like they actually went really well. Like they were fun. The, you know, the club had me back the next year. We sold like even more tickets. It was like people like came back to see the show. Yeah. It, was, it was. And so I was realizing like, okay, you know, thank God I like came up in Philadelphia. Thank God I like came up in, you know, a city where the audiences aren't overly excited about comedy and where like <laughs> you have to work. Up yeah, for it. exactly. And also like Philly doesn't care that much about cool comedy. No, you know, they no. they want you to like actually like make crowds laugh. Yeah. So like I think there are a lot of comics in Philly that are like stronger than me at like doing that kind of thing or, or I did at the time, I guess, or whatever. But uh, the culture of stand up there is definitely more about the crowd, less about you, the, the yeah, artist, yeah. the brilliance. And it's like, <laughs> you know, you go to city sometimes and you realize like, oh, man, these people don't realize that they don't realize like how good these crowds are. Right. And they don't realize that like the same generosity is not going to be afforded to you in like Dayton, Ohio or like, you know, Des Moines or, or Syracuse or mm -hmm. whatever the fuck, which are great like towns and like interesting places to perform comedy. But it's like for me personally, it is a little bit harder to do stand up sure. in a place like that where like, you know a lot of people's comedy like really leans on like references and shit. And, and like, it's like, is the crowd laughing because they know what you're talking about? Or are they laughing because what you said was like really, really right. funny, you know? And I think that you have a little of both, but some people lean really far oh, in yeah. one direction or the other, you know, yeah, definitely you take like jokes that are real, just like jokey joke, kind of like corny, like hacky shit or whatever. It murders on the road. And then in a city, people are like, this is boring. Right. But the flip side of that is like almost worse where it's like, you're doing essentially like a bad, like reference laid in one man show and crowds aren't even like, this isn't really my taste. They're just like, yo dude, what the fuck are you saying? Right. right yeah, now? Like, right. what is this? Yeah. And that stuff, like that stuff, like fucking the air comes out of that really quick. You realize what you think is like an hour worth of like fun. Oh yeah. If you got to cut a bunch of it. Yeah. Not even if you have to cut a bunch of it, just like if it's bombing, it's like, it's crazy how much faster material like that, like goes. Oh yeah. You know I mean? yeah. It's like, oh yeah. Jesus. Yeah. That's what that, that's what everyone always says is it just, yeah. Time speeds up when you're, when you're bombing. Oh yeah. And it's just, yeah, your mind is racing, trying to, trying to f solve the riddle of the crowd. Yeah. If you're like pausing and they're not laughing, it's like, okay, going to fill it in with more words. And it's like, shit, I only have a certain number of words right. to burn. It's right. like, it's like a, it's like a fucked up math problem that ruins your life. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think like, that's the, the kind of thing that you see with those guys that have been on the road for a long time. Right. And not, and I don't mean like road, like like road comics, but like people that have been headlining for a long time, sure. you know, over the years, you know, you do start to have the alternative sets that you, and you kind of know ahead of time what you're going to do because you've gone through it. You've been to those cities enough times, you know, you've been doing those cities for five years and going back and forth. And then you start to build up those different skills for the different types of rooms. And it's really, you know, it's just like, when it's early on and you're doing mics and you're learning how to be on stage, 
there's you can't like fast forward through it like you have to just be on you just have to go through it yeah in order to learn it yeah because you have to calibrate your own your own sensibility for them nobody can do that for you ahead of time totally yeah it is just like an experience like thing and i think about that all the time now it's like being you know it's like being like a new headliner and also like a young headliner it's like i'm 25 i started headlining when i was 23 it's like you look these crowds in the face that like paid a lot of money to see you and you really don't look like you're worth it you know what i mean oh yeah man when you so you you headline big hunt yeah, I was early. probably 23 when I did that. Yeah, so that was like right in, I would imagine, your early time of when you first started headlining. That was probably like the second or third place I like right. ever did a long set like that. And yeah. I think, was it, it might have, was it only two shows? I forget. I think I it forget. was two yeah. shows. I think it was a weekend where we weren't going to have shows the other we, the other night. Yeah, it was like something weird. It was, it was something like weird Halloween like weekend or yeah. like Thanksgiving or something. But uh, yeah, and I... It's it's really funny at Big Hunt in particular because everybody is so serious about their jobs. Yeah. And everybody takes themselves so seriously that when you have a 23-year-old on stage who looks like they're 16. Yeah. Yeah. And is talking about their college girlfriend and stuff. And it was it's really funny to watch the reaction because they wanted to just... They, I think... At first, they're just like, "Why? Why did we pay for this? Yeah, exactly. why did we pay to watch this child perform for us?" A hundred percent. It feels like an open mic because you're like, "There's no way that this is like a a a, a, a this this guy is more or less like a real comedian." Yeah, yeah. But the funny thing is, is that I think everyone left happy. I think everybody enjoyed the set, and I, I think by the end of it, I don't think anybody questioned their decision to come to the show. It, that's what I found at like almost all of those headlining shows that I was doing, especially at that time, like especially like really early. It was just like I was like, I don't know if you guys should have paid for this. Like, yeah, I'm not sure why I'm here. like I really also felt like, you know, my agents like saw something in me and they like wanted to like build me as a headliner and stuff. So that's like why they were sending me out so mm -hmm. early. But also they do sign people at that age and they don't oh, yeah. always send them out. Right. And so it's like, I felt like, okay, they at least like trust me to like do this. Like I have something that'll work outside of like a college or whatever the fuck. Yeah. And I, I think what that is, is one is you are likable on stage and you're, you're, a, you're making a conscious effort to stay on the side of the audience. Even if you play with it, your goal is for the audience to like you. Totally. 100%. So that's clear, right? So going in with that attitude, you feel a lot more confident putting the person in a headlining position like that because if they have that attitude, that will at least mean they're trying to succeed every set. Right. And succeed in the way that like the club looks good. Yes. The tickets yes. are worth it. Yes. The crowd is happy. Yeah. Not just in an artistic sense, but right. in an actual doing a job sense. Yes. And then you also have some very good jokes, which... I think instill Thanks, confidence from the audience. If you tell a great joke, like a really smart joke that the audience, you know, didn't see coming from the beginning, they will, that means something to them and they'll go along with you when you have that. So when you have those two things together, that's enough to get you through the set. Right. That, exactly. You can get through the set. It's right. enough that you can be on stage 
you can perform and it will people will accept it as a good night and that that gets you through the beginning parts and then each year you're better at it and eventually you'll become a strong headliner that's really what it is it's like it it feels like a thing where at first you're just like i just have to like make them not want to like throw me off the stage and then it feels like you know you have sets later on where you're like i think i just made some fans probably right like that that set was probably a thing where like those people are gonna like remember that and whether it was just like a wild moment with like crowd work stuff or if Mm -hmm. if just like my my shit like really resonated with some people Mm -hmm. or whatever then you start to feel like, okay, the like fear of it not working out is kind of going away. And now I'm really focused on the just like, hey, how can I like do this the best right. way like that I really like to do it, whatever. But I, I still don't even think of myself like I've been headlining now for like two and a half years. So I'm I'm there and doing comedy for like not even five. So I think another thing is that people, especially when they start to get opportunities or whatever, they get in this place where it's like I'm fucking legit. Like I'm a serious comic. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm like whatever. And it's like no, 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 no. You have to understand that. Like, for me anyway. Right. It's like I'm just because I have the same agents as these people, or right. I play like the same venues as these people. It's like I'm me. It's different. There's sure. a difference between headlining a place and selling it out when you announce. There's a difference between like, oh, okay, I'm gonna like play all these cities, and and I'm gonna play like a theater in all these cities. It's mm-hmm. like those are like light years apart and there's also a difference between having good sets and leveling rooms every night exactly dude it's like it's like can i like headline clubs yes do people walk away and feel like oh we saw like a good comedy show tonight yes am i like going around the country like blowing the fucking roof off of places no sometimes you know like (laughs) if it's all the exact right situation Uh you know what i mean but there's no part of me that's like you know, I'm like a murderer. Like, I, I think it's possible to get a lot better at stand-up and do a lot more in stand-up in a lot less time than people sometimes suggest. But also, I mean, dude, you can't, you just like can't become like an absolute killer without like, t- like I just need like time. You know what I mean? I it's totally like, agree with both those things. I do think that you can, you can progress very rapidly. I do think it's possible for first certain people to just put it together quickly totally yeah and you know i used to have a guy a roommate who uh was a comic and he he like was like you shouldn't even be featuring until you're 10 years in yeah that's i hate that dude i like hate that kind of thinking yeah what was insane because he all like Everybody who was younger than him and had been in less time was starting to feature. And he was like not asking to feature because he got that idea in his head. And it's like, dude, everyone with less experience than you is already doing it. Like you're holding yourself back. That's also like so often how people get good at stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're forced to do it. Yeah, it's like, dude, doing this show that that we did, like, or the, the digital special that's like out now or whatever, it's like... I don't have any fucking experience doing that. Like I don't have any experience. I, before I did that, I never had ever made anything that like was that long and like actually hung together as like a cohesive, coherent, like piece of media. Yeah. And I think one could argue that like 
people that are in a, a position of creative control over a project like that are usually like in their 30s or whatever, but mm-hmm. like sometimes they're not. And also, if I just sat around and waited for that, I don't know who the fuck knows yeah, what's gonna right. happen. You know what I mean? Right. And also, I mean, people do like if you're young, they like they give a <laughs> yeah. shit about that. Like, take advantage of it. Like, right. don't like just decide that you're bad automatically because you're a kid or whatever the fuck like i mean probably you are definitely confront that keep it in your head but don't let it like defeat you that's i I think you do you you just have to like live in this place where it's like yeah it's like cool that i'm like a young guy who's getting to do stuff but at the end of the day i don't have fans enough enough rather to like sell out rooms you know so when i'm up there i gotta fucking dance man like i'm you're you're a traveling clown dude it's like you gotta put on good shows you have to like try and also it's like dude it feels like the worst possible thing you can do is start to think that like you're the shit because the other thing is we kind of talked about this yesterday uh uh before we recorded this um like we're making this show and everything's going like really well and what i'm learning is it takes forever like yeah. <laughs> I was doing a version of this show in Philadelphia in 2016 and then I did it in front of Comedy Central in 2017. Okay, let's talk about what is what was the idea of the live show? So the show like it's very 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 beginning is I had worked at like a pharmaceutical marketing company in Philadelphia for my buddy Chris O'Connor. He's like an an editor there and he was like throwing me work and we were, you know, doing stand up all over the place and it was great. And I was like, I want to do a live like show at Good Good, this comedy theater in Philly. I want to do a live show there where I like am like a I'm like a marketing team for like a company that didn't ask me to rebrand all of their shit, (laughs) you know. (laughs) And so I went to my buddy Joe, who was just like very good at like putting on like a live show. And he's just another funny comic, this guy Joe Bell in Philly. And we did this show together called Focus Group. And I think we did like six of them. One of them I did by myself. And then we would do kind of like wrap up shows of like the funniest things where we would rebrand like Werther's Originals, but specifically for teens and millennials. So it's like a grandma candy, you know what I mean? But suddenly it's like we shot like commercials where there's like kids like skateboarding and like running around by the pier and whatever. And like it looks like a like a Levi's ad or like a PacSun ad. I created like Twitter accounts for all these brands. We did like Mountain Dew, but only for the 1%. So like... I'm, I'm tweeting out like Rolex ads and like all this ridiculous shit for like Mountain Dew, but it's like Mountain Dew, it's like spelled D-E-A-U-X uh, yeah. and like, just like dumb bullshit. I, I, we, I put like, I, I like rebranded it in a, like a champagne bottle and called it Mountain Dew bottled sparkling corn syrup. And I figured out that you can go on Grubhub and like you can you can, they don't verify who you are. So I just went to the most expensive restaurant, restaurant in Philly, called the Grubhub like corporate office and said, I want to change the menu to include this new expensive drink that we have. (laughs) And they like put it on. It's like a $50 bottle of Mountain Dew. You could really (laughs) order it. It was on their menu. It it, it was for years after on their menu. I like ordered it while I was on stage to charge my card like $63. I like never got the money back, which at the time fucking killed me. That's funny. Um, So I was just like doing this in Philly, but then I like took all that shit i took joe's stuff out of it i I felt bad you know to like fucking cut really funny stuff but it's also like i didn't want to use my friend's shit that he wrote or whatever and so i just like did my part of that show in front of comedy central like a live showcase in la and uh they 
bought it as like a digital like thing like a little like youtube mm-hmm. thing or whatever they gave us 40 grand to like make a more robust like crazy version of it and it turned into this show control room um and control room is like a little different it's like i get locked in a room for a week and i have to use really limited resources so like a thousand dollars to like do a social experiment mm-hmm. and uh after the experiment's done i go in front of a live audience again and i like break down like here's how i did the experiment so i partnered up with these guys like the merkin bros they're like uh they made like a bunch of fake ads for stuff that had gone viral like a bunch of times over this my favorite one is this thing called gay taco bell and they just they're such good like film producers like they're so good at like creating like stuff that looks so real that they made a taco bell commercial it's a really innocuous commercial about this couple that does a bunch of shit before work even starts they like go on a treasure hunt they ride a ferris wheel they like get food they do all this shit and they show up at their office at 9 a.m on a motorcycle with uh the the am crunch wrap okay it so happens that the couple in the commercial is two guys it has there's nothing overly romantic whatsoever it's like again the most innocuous commercial you've ever seen perfect branding perfect bags perfect motion graphics perfect design and then they released it they like quote quote like leaked it to jezebel Mm -hmm. as banned taco bell commercial so then jezebel does this crazy write-up that gets picked up a bunch (laughs) of other places it's like why is taco bell homophobic like what is this this is crazy so they did a bunch of shit like that so we got together and um yeah, we did like a parody of Goop, sort of. This company, Vave, and they, uh, this fake company that I came up with is, is, it's like a Danish company that sells used tissues for $80. Yeah. And, uh, Look, man, this was supposed to make fun of like raw water, the like unfiltered like water that has microbes in it and supposed to make fun of like the snake oil nature of Gwyneth Paltrow's shit. And instead it just like... Dude, Time Magazine did a seven-page write-up about it. Colbert did, like, a a full, like, five-minute desk piece just making fun of our product. It was in, like, 60 other publications. The Guardian, Fox News, fucking everywhere. Like, for, like, a week, it was, like, a trending, like, thing. And then the show is me talking about, like, here's how I made this seem like a real company. We did focus groups. I, like, handed it out for free in L.A. Like, there were, like, real products. We, like, mailed them out to people. There were influencers involved. It was, like... It was just like a crazy project, and so that came out on YouTube. Just like which you can st- which anybody can watch now. Anybody can watch. It's free to stream on like Comedy Central's like YouTube and on their website and all that stuff. And it was great, man. Like like almost a million and a half people have watched it now, and uh, so they bought the TV show now. So now we're making a TV pilot, and we like did the deal for like how it'll go for the next, you know, if they pick it up. Would you be doing? Would you be just making? one product after another no it'll just so so what's going to remain for like the tv version is that i'm going to be doing social experiments and it is going to be the same nature of social experiments where unlike a nathan for you for example like nathan's so funny because he's so funny it's like i want to see that guy sit down in a room with like anybody just talk to them and it's like the this his like off kilter nature is just so great this show is different because I'm never there. It's like, I think that we're at a time now where it's like the internet's so much important, right. so much more important with like, uh, any kind of like scheming, any deception, any fraud. It's like, it's remote. You know what I mean? It's from like a group of people that you can't really even identify right. whether it's like a Russian hack or it's like, 
you know, just these like weird startups that are always fucking up to something dubious or even or even like, you know, Facebook, yeah, or like yeah. Uber, like huge companies we know are doing things that make us upset or like Amazon or whatever. So that's like a more fun thing like to criticize for me. And I'm also more Definitely. interested in, in like all the shit you have to make to make stuff seem real. Right. You know, so. So we're doing the pilot now and hopefully, you know, hopefully it gets picked up. But uh, that's what I was going to say a second ago about just like how fucking long the process right. is. Like every time we try to do something so far with this project, it has like worked. It's like exceeded expectations. We're really happy. Comedy Central has been like great to work with, but it just like it takes so long. Like if you we get did, picked up now, you did the live show in, in like the fall of 2016. I, I was doing I was doing the live show I think right at the end of, of twenty sixteen in Philadelphia into twenty seventeen. Then all that like shit happened with like writing for Hassan and, and you know, getting repped and all that stuff. And then I moved out to LA in like the summer of twenty seventeen or in like August. And then in September I did the live show. In November they bought the digital special. The digital special took uh like a year to make. And then it came out in March of 2019. They bought the pilot in summer of 2019. And now it's, you know, winter 2020. And we're going to, like, shoot the pilot. And how often during all that time, like, are you are you working on this, like, five days a week? No. No, no, no. Well, see, that's the thing. It's, like, for the digital special, like, I had done, like, another digital series with Comedy Central. And it's, like, you know, they, they like, give you, like, X amount of dollars. It's, like... You know, you're making a fucking YouTube video for them. They're not selling huge ads on it. So right. like they can't spend an exorbitant amount right. of money. Right. Uh, it's more just like a farm team to like see like whose talent that they like like working with. Right, exactly. Whose talent that if they like put your shit on, like whose stuff does really well. Right. You know, like again, I did one that like didn't do super well. I don't think it's like bad or good. I think it's all right, you know? It's it's a thing that I like wrote and directed that my friend is in and I'm in and whatever, and it was uh it was a cool challenge for us to like do at the time. But whatever it's so control room is just going to be that. But yeah. then it like blew. This was another thing where like I was just a crazy man and was like they asked for a 10 minute thing. Mm -hmm. And so suddenly we like do all this shit and like spend all the money and I'm like touring it around to test it. And it's like a 50 minute show on the road. I'm like on the road in like Chicago and Austin, right. and San Francisco, all these cities like doing an hour of a thing whose final product was supposed to be 10 minutes long and just thinking like, well, maybe if it's really good and they release it as like a half hour thing, like maybe they'll just give us a show. Right. Like that was my idea of like, that's how I'll scheme a show. I'll just like make a show without them asking me and turn it in and see right. if they're pissed. Right. <laughs> and it worked, you know, it, like it was all fine. So I do think there's like a degree of like, it's a good idea to do stuff like that, like over prepare, like yeah. do too much, whatever. Uh, I think the idea that you you were talking about before is something that I've been thinking about recently, which is like a lot of things you can't learn until you just start doing them. Oh yeah. You, you know, you can only like prepare so much, but at a certain point you really just have to start doing it. Like, like even like making, a, making videos, like you learn how to do it by doing it over and over again. And oh, each yeah. time you get a little bit better at it. And if you're not, if you're not just like making yourself go out and, and try these things, you won't ever, you won't ever gain the skills to do it. It's a hundred percent true. It's like a hundred percent true. It's like, you, this is not, 
music. This is not like it's just like not like other shit where you can like write a song in your room and like then put it on the internet and like see what people say. But even that, like you have to put it out. Like you have to like you have to do it. You yeah. Know? And also the way that your audience interprets what you do is I mean, if you if you give a shit about what they think or whatever, like that's like also incredibly valuable. There's mm-hmm. no amount of like theorizing you can do that's going to tell you what people actually think of you. Like I realized like Comedy Central put out a video of me just like doing stand up or whatever, and there were like 150 comments about how I look like logic. And I had heard that before and whatever, mm-hmm. but what I really thought about was the fact that like, oh shit, people on YouTube and people on Instagram and people that like are in the places where I'm trying to get fans really will not let go of the fact that I like look like the rapper logic. Right. So I wrote a joke about it and I was on tour with uh, these guys, Jack Knight and Zach Fox yeah. who have like a very young fan base. That's like very cool. It, and it's a real mirror of like who the fuck is watching these like comedy central videos on YouTube and like who's following shit that they like on Instagram and who comes out to live stuff And so I like start like working on that joke in front of them. And I'm like, I'm going to open with this the next time I do an internet set because I think it's going to grab like a young audience that like wants to engage with like comedy or whatever. And I, I think that that worked also like, it was so funny. There were people that would like comment like, yo, this dude looks like logic. Or I thought this dude was logic. And then they like reply to their own comment. Like, Oh shit. He talked about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So that's fun. That's fun. When, uh, when, when people who are when they start interacting with you yeah and then then you do it on stage totally it, it uh, reinforces the engagement yeah well it's like it's like that and also you just like you know stand-up is just talking about you and like right. interfacing with like strangers about yourself so yeah i mean getting feedback from them is like always super useful and like understanding the way that 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 people perceive you like it just makes you better at comedy. Like I think somebody that like that, the, the logic example might sound like, so like, Oh, like this guy's just like trying to like game, like kids on the internet to like be a fan or something like that. But it's also look at somebody that's totally opposite of me. Like look at like a Tim Dillon. It's Mm -hmm. like Tim went through the rigmarole of like industry, like shit and like worked on some pilots and did it, you know, and the, the, the guy's like just brimming with talent. It's right. just like coming off of him. You know what I mean? Like he can't not be just like an interesting guy to listen, mm-hmm. you know, to him talk. It just turns out that like if there's too much bullshit in the way, or if there's too much like, you know, wringing your hands about like, oh, like how are we going to present Tim? Yeah. How are we going to? It's like too it, much fear. Too much fear, too much like angling to try to get like the exact right entry point to like America or like audiences or whatever. And then you realize like, dude, Tim just fucking totally overhauls like the way that he does every, you know, his podcast, whatever. He's just like, look, people really seem to like similar to like people want to say like, oh, this guy looks like this. A broader, more useful version of that is Tim being like, oh, people like when I go on a rant. People right. like when I like lose my mind about this shit that I'm really passionate about or that I think not not even a conspiracy theory, not even just a portrait of Long Island, not even like whatever it is. Not yeah, specific. it's just his he's got a very strange point of view. Yes. 
And when you get that like raw, like unfiltered, whatever, that's what makes people go fucking crazy. That's what makes people say like, I got it. I can't miss this next week. So he gets rid of guests. He starts doing just like minute long videos or whatever. Right. It gets the attention of like all the right people. He goes on Rogan, et cetera, et cetera. And then it's just like, you know, Tim has like the biggest year of his career essentially just like setting up a microphone and a camera that anybody can get at Best Buy for fucking 300 bucks. Yeah, and doing like, cheap green screen stuff. Yeah, and it's just like, oh, it turns out the most important thing is to just be funny. Like, right. it is that simple. And, you know, there's a lot of value to like being interesting or being like whatever. He's, he's that stuff too. Also adapting to how you're being funny, like really That's paying I mean. attention. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, re- really doing it in a purposeful way. Right. And it's like, and it's like Tim, Tim for the longest time, it's like he did those like bus tours in New York. He would do like, you know, like a New York City bus tour that was kind of, you know, like evil and like just crazy and very him. And so it's like they were trying to like make that into a show. But it turns out what people really like is so much simpler. It's like they loved him on the bus because it's him doing a rant. It just happens that they had to get on a bus to uh hear it. But if you just do it on a podcast, like more, even more people will show up. Right. And yeah. Yeah, if it's just even even just watching him at a desk is kind of funnier because you you don't care about the bus and you don't care about the tour anyway. All you want to hear is the rant. So might as well just have the rant and let him be free to talk about anything instead of having to rely on whatever's going on around him in New York. A hundred percent. Well, and what what you realize is just like, okay, well, then if it's if it's just the rant, like you can put it on a bus, you can put it in fucking public, you can put it in front of a Bojangles, you can put it like wherever the fuck you want, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, like, that's such a good example and something for people to look at. Like, Tim and I are like, very, very close friends, and, and, like, I definitely am in, like, the industry camp of shit, and he's definitely in the, like, independent, like, podcaster camp by choice. It's, like, he's, yeah. he's well-connected in the industry. Also, sure. he can do that. But, like, it's I, – I, I guess this is, like, a separate thing. I do think it's so fucking important to be close with people that, like, approach things like in a way different way that are like way different than you like comedically that are it's like I've learned more from I've learned more from people that do comedy that's like kind of offensive uh, you know people would say you know what I mean or like I don't know it's just like edgier clubbier comedy yeah what do you take from that when you see someone doing material like that I I'm I'm paying attention to like just the way like a crowd is reacting to that you're realizing like okay you don't have to try to be like fucking like smarter than the crowd or like you don't have to be yeah you don't i mean if you try to if your intention is to be smarter than the crowd i I don't think you'll be successful yeah because that's not what they want you do you can't be obviously dumber than the crowd. No, no, you can't do that either. You can't just be like a fucking like circus act or whatever the fuck. But like also, I think that when I see dudes like that, like kill in a room, I'm also realizing like, oh, it's so easy to just follow like the cool path in comedy and try to get into like all like, you know, perform on all like the cool bar shows and like the cool shows in LA and whatever. Like, I guess that that's the kind of, that's like the bucket I get thrown into a lot more quickly. Mm -hmm. than like the club bucket it just is what it is but i try to shy away from it because of how naturally it presents itself because i think i can learn more from guys that are just like club dudes also people in clubs i gotta be honest man club crowds are more representative of like what 
America is like. Club yeah. crowds are more diverse. Club crowds are, you know, it's like you look at like a really like hot like alt show in LA or New York and it's like the lineup is really diverse and like that's awesome that rules but the weird thing that you see is like the type of comedy that's being done is very homogenous like that's all very the same even though you're saying like oh but look at all the different perspectives look at all the different whatever it's like okay explain to me this why is the audience all 27 year old white guys that like look like me yeah. Like, why is it all like affluent, liberal, educated white people at these shows that have like a really diverse lineup or whatever? And then you go to a place like the comedy store or like whatever, like a place that's like looked at as this like broy, like clubby, like whatever. And the audience is like super diverse. It's tourists from like all over the fucking world. It's like you're really performing for like this insane cross section of uh -huh. human beings. And I guess that what I'm saying is like, I truly don't think that like one of those is better than the other. Like I, I hate the, like the partisan nature of comedy now because it's like, you guys are getting really incomplete data. Like you're just yeah. getting incomplete data. You well, know? you're, you're uh, categorizing it in a way that I don't hear many people do that. I mean, I, I think the common thing that everybody, I mean, people are either splitting it into club and alt, right? Or they'll split it now into like free speech, joke about anything right. versus like woke comedy. But you're, but in a way, you're kind of talking about. I don't know if it's a. I mean, club comedy or like performing, like performing with the intention of just having good set versus doing it for art's sake. Yeah, I think that like to me when I when I think about it when I look at comics that I really like it's like comics that are themselves They do have something that's like original about them or like about their act and also they're entertaining the audience yeah. and it's like the idea that Those three things are somehow like at odds with each other mm -hmm. Like now you either have to be so original that you're like inaccessible and that's like good right is crazy or you become such like a like dude it's like you become such like a free speech dude that like this is what troubles me about that it's like it's a lot of really tremendously funny guys whose whole point is like i don't want comedy to be so political and about all this like social identity politics bullshit but yeah. then it's like okay well you're so worked up about it that you're spending your entire podcast your entire actor whatever like just right talking about that and it's like well now your shit is political like yeah you're fucking if you just want to be funny then like just be funny yeah because you also like you're you're making your whole life about that whereas like your life could be just whatever you want to talk about totally you're no you can go on stage and say anything you want and you can go on your podcast and say anything you want and, and you, you can choose just do to it. cover like the politics of comedy every fucking week like that yeah and, and you can just ignore people on twitter that are are saying stuff that's annoying to you totally and it just feels to me like it's like look if you're not like endorsing something that's like truly like destructive or whatever mm -hmm. which i think is a frankly smaller margin of a actual topics and people make it out to yeah sometimes definitely. it's like i think you're all good you know but it is just like uh i love like i i i think that like people point at like andrew schultz as an example of somebody who's like uh oh like he's just this like fucked up like free speech guy right? yes. it's like dude whatever man like the guy is like funny he like kills People really like it. They come out to see his shows. 
He's doing his own thing. Mm-hmm. It's all good. It's like I it troubles me to figure out like what people's like argument is with that. Actually, it's like he's not he's literally not eating anybody else's slice of the pie. He made he baked his own I fucking say, pie. I would say that he opened up opportunities by showing what was possible by doing that. For sure. For, he definitely for sure. has. I would say he's he's helped comedians by by a lot by doing that. I really agree. I really agree. I think it's like always better. It's always better to feel like you're retaining as much like creative control as possible and like getting help where you need it. But but I you know, it's funny. It's like I think that people point to like Schultz or whatever. And it becomes this thing where like if you're in the industry, you're woke. And if you have a podcast, you're racist. And it's like, what the (laughs) fuck is this take? Like this is like. I don't know, but it, you know, it starts to feel that way. Uh, but I look at dudes like, like I was, I was just talking about this with, with Benji. Uh, like I look at dudes like, like 85 South show, like, like Carlos Miller and DC young fly and whatever. It's like, these guys have millions of fans. They have like, on, like millions of followers on Instagram. They sell out like theaters everywhere that they go. And it's like, I cannot for the life of me figure out why it is in this age of like we want like different perspectives we like want like what it's like where the fuck is their hbo special you know what i mean yeah they should like i just it's like they should be all over fucking netflix like they have like the most organic like large reach of like any comedy group that i've ever fucking seen yeah uh and for some reason like people like aren't trying to make them the next guys you know what i mean but i also don't think that there's anything wrong with like the weirder kind of cool shit that we're getting now like you look at like julio torres is special it's like that's cool that yeah that's cool that, that was that, like, a fun can special also, yeah i did not think i was gonna like that i watched the preview of it and i was like oh man i don't think this is for me at all right right but right. i'm like forced myself to watch it yeah and i mean within like a, a minute i was like oh this is pretty fun and i think that's a show that was like even better like live like i don't necessarily know that like the way that 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 they went about that in right. that special was like truly the best presentation of it but it's it's not even a it's more like the more people that think that they can do comedy it, like it definitely like floods everything and it like makes it oversaturated for sure but also look man if another fucking julio comes down the pipeline and we get some other like weird singular motherfucker right. that's fantastic for sure it is but also it's like if the industry doesn't want to fucking hear about something, that's okay. But it turns out like a lot of people still do. And it's nice that technology and all that shit is like at a place now where you can like just like go be a fan of those people. And I and I don't think that that necessarily has to mean that like you're courting an army of like white supremacists or whatever. Yeah, I mean, hopefully you're not. Yeah, when you can and people yeah. do. And, <laughs> yeah. I, and it's like, that's very, that's so fucking annoying because it's like, those are the people that are really making it harder for everybody. Is yeah, like, but it doesn't have to be so hard to figure out like who's, do, who's doing that stuff and who's uh, just like telling yeah. jokes that maybe are not to your sensibility. Totally. It's way more i find that like all this stuff is like way more nuanced than you would expect like i just feel like you'd expect my friend group to be like a really specific like group of people or whatever and it's like not it's i'm mostly close with people that do comedy like way different than me and operate in like a different part of like the career or whatever and like those are good people to learn from because i i think most of the most of the comments i see online if you really are like thinking about what each of those comments are saying 
they're just they're they're not really talking about the same things they're kind of using the same words but they're using them in different ways so that their ideas never line up they're always talking past each other so it seems like you know you lay out oh this person did this thing and then this thing and then they said this what a hypocrite they are yeah yeah, and then the the other side you does the same thing and it's like well this is you're taking out of context this and this word doesn't in what he's saying doesn't mean that what he's not using like uh problematic in that sense he's using it in a different sense um and so then you realize like, well, this is just pointless. Like it's not pointless. I do think that some I, discourse is really, yeah, I, I do think that discourse. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that you can learn from it and everybody moves along through it. And I think it's good, but I think the incessant conversation about it, it gets to be, uh, yeah. very tedious. I, I think that it's good for comedy to have genres, but I don't like the idea that it's like a political, like, aisle that is you're not allowed to cross like yeah. that that bums me out it's like you know you would never you would never like go to like a baby show and be like he didn't play guitar he's terrible at music like what the fuck are you talking about yeah. like this guy just like doesn't play guitar that's all good other people right. play guitar it's fine it's like yeah some people do comedy with a fucking powerpoint or like some people do comedy in like a front-facing like twitter video or like some people do it's like i don't give a shit like it's all good when you're taking the audience feedback and you're adjusting how you do stand up do you think that in any way you're temporarily kind of uh putting yourself in the background in order to cater to the audience yeah, I think that I think that like uh I don't yeah, I mean I I never want to tell like anybody else how to do comedy again cuz I'm like so new, et cetera, et cetera, but I'm just like if I'm doing stand up and it's going bad and I'm like, well, this is what I fucking do and I don't give a shit what these yeah. people think. It's like you are no longer doing stand up. It's like now I mean, for me, like, I feel like I'm doing something else now and it's like weird and it's like very, it's like I'm there to make people laugh. So I do think that there's some degree of like just realizing like, well, this show's just not going to go that well, but I at least need to fucking try. Right. Like I can't just be like, fuck you guys, whatever. So yeah, maybe you're relinquishing a little bit of like control to what the audience wants, but at the same time, dude, it's like that's why people come out and have a really fun time at like a comedy show. And it's not like an art gallery where, you know, you have to be a specific kind of person with like a specific kind of like taste, cultural exposure. Yeah. I was going to say it's not, yeah, it's not performance art. You're not just, it's not a, someone's doing something and everyone just sits and takes it in. It, It does good. There is a participation. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, you know, I can say shit that's like as interesting as I want, but at the end of the day, the sort of like contract that I've signed with these people is like, they're like, look, I paid 20 bucks to be here. I bought two drinks. I got a fucking babysitter. This is the one time of the month that we go out. We both hate our jobs. We're trying to do something that isn't Netflix for once. And if you're going to stand up there and just like be like, fuck you guys, that's like mean. Yeah, I agree. That's a mean thing to do. It's mean to the... I mean, it's like mostly it's mean to the audience. It's like mean to the club too. I'm not necessarily somebody who's like, you got to worship every club. Yeah, they're, right, they're yeah. gods. It's, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's all good. But I mean, you don't want to you don't want to fuck that up. Sure, you don't want to fuck that up for like other comics. You don't want. I just like why the other thing, dude. If you ask your audiences, like, who's who's never been to a comedy show before, dude? It's a lot of people. Yeah, every single show you ever do. 
a big chunk of that audience has like never been to a stand-up show. It blows my mind that that is the case, and it uh, it surprises me all the time. And I'm just like, how many fucking people are there? It's it's <laughs> wild. Yeah, like how are these venues always yeah. full, and it's always people's first time yeah. or their second time. And it's like, dude, the other thing is, you're making comedy fans, or you're not. Right. It's like. Oh man, why don't people come out to the fucking shows? It's like I don't know, dude. Maybe because you fucking like don't give a shit how you do all right. the time, and you bomb and whatever. You know, I'm look. It's it's complicated. It's a million things, but part of your responsibility is to just fucking entertain the audience. Everybody everywhere is. You're gonna say what you want. You're gonna work on the material that you think is cool. Mm-hmm. You're gonna you know unless you turn into like a total like hack or like whatever. Sure. You're gonna say what you want to say. Like that's what'll come out, but. I think it's important to like try to focus on like entertaining people, especially as like a young comic or like a new comic or whatever, because you know, you don't want to build an hour of shit that only works for people in your town or only works for people in like Brooklyn or Silver Lake or whatever, because if you want to like grow and do more things, you realize that yes, there are like a seemingly infinite number of people, but most people are not this like, again, this like small homogenous group of similarly educated affluent people of same political ideology it's like right those are pockets it's good to fucking really get in there and hit them with shit that's so specific that they're like i can't believe that we're not sharing a brain right now yeah yeah but it doesn't travel and so you just have to make that decision right you know what i mean i think also it's like stand-up comedy you know it's just like anything you know, whatever type of art you're going to make, right. it's going to be, it's going to have limited limitations. Like you're working within a framework. Like if you're on Twitter, there's a limit to what you can do with it. If you're making a web series, it can only be totally yeah. certain things. And if it's stand-up comedy, it can only be certain things. You can't do everything in stand-up comedy, you know? Yeah. You, you, you're trying, everybody's trying to be creative with it and do as much with it as they can. But it's at the end of the day, it still is. The audience is not really talking back to you, but they're responding to you. Right. Yeah. And, and, and it's also just like, you know, you're only going to be able to do like the kind of, like, I really try hard to make sure that my shit is like, I can do it at a club in, you know, quote unquote, like the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And I can do it at like a cool, you know, like alti venue in LA where I like run my monthly show that I have. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, I want it to just exist both places. I don't want to have to like change it. I don't want to have to say like, I can't do, you know, that show or whatever, but you know, sometimes I'm going to be on the road and the feature is he's fucking gonna, Benji. <laughs> the feature is fucking Benji. You know what I mean? The feature is like, you know, sometimes you're, you're on the road and it's like the, you know, the feature like really nails like what that small town likes and they're you're just like not quite as well geared. And yeah. sometimes you're going to be, you know, doing a show in Brooklyn and somebody does fucking like a burlesque thing before you. And then the next person does a PowerPoint and then you're there doing normal, quote, quote, like normal stand up. And you look kind of boring and square and people aren't as into it. And that right. just is what it is. Yeah. But just don't fucking bomb yeah <laughs> you know just like do pretty good make people appreciate whatever it is that you're doing like i don't right. know that's what i that's like what i think well i think you're doing pretty good dude thanks man appreciate that so uh control room is on youtube do you have a bunch of videos on youtube uh yeah i mean i have like there's a bunch of my stand-up on youtube if you search my name as it is written in the like description of this podcast you can watch you can watch control room i encourage you to watch control room that's the thing that i'm like the most yeah proud it's really of. cool 
yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about getting to do more of that and, uh, you know, trying to have a TV show here, folks. Use Kleenexes as a product. Yes. And uh, in a Time magazine and Colbert thought it was real. Yes. And there's a bunch of shit in the show that I did not talk about. That's like, it's so, I don't know, dude, stuff just like went so off the rails and so weird that it's, it's sometimes difficult to describe. So just take a look. It's like a half hour thing. It's fun. Well, thanks for being here, man. Dude, appreciate it. Thank you. For more information about our live shows, check out undergroundcomedydc.com.